Hello, and thank you for joining us on Giving Voice to Depression. I'm Bridget. And I'm Terry. More than 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression, but you do not have to have it yourself to be affected by it. Its prevalence pretty much guarantees that someone you care about battles its darkness. This podcast tries to shine some light into that darkness. We're not experts and we're not therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness. Episodes in this season are made possible by a grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, which is dedicated to bettering the lives of those affected by depression. We are solely responsible for podcast content. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. So we bet that every person aware of their depression is also aware of their mask. It's that facade, that smile, that coping mechanism we develop when we have to do something in spite of being in depression's grips. It's the phenomenon behind terms like hidden, functional, or smiling depression. And like clothes strewn on the floor, it's often one of the first things we rip off when we finally return to a place we can collapse and acknowledge that act took every bit of energy we had. A Huffington Post article on the 11 habits of people with concealed depression says, Depression often goes unnoticed, unrecognized, and undiagnosed. A person with concealed depression is someone who's conditioned to deal with their inner demons in a way that doesn't make them clearly visible. The problem is, the article said, the world becomes darkest when we stop being able to understand each other. So, is a mask a helpful thing or a hurtful thing? Or can it be both enemy and best friend at once? It allows us to go into the world without exposing what we're feeling, without being vulnerable, or without coming across as the dark, gloomy one. But it also means we're hiding our pain from everyone, including people who might empathize with us, who might also experience depression, or who might be able to help us in our darker times. Today's guest, Andrew, knows his mask well. He not only wears it, but he analyzes and writes about it. That's how we found him. In his blog, Rise Above the Ashes, He wrote, sometimes I need to go out and talk to give voice to the darkness swirling around me, but I'm too afraid to ask for your time. I feel like it's a burden to you. I feel like I'm a burden to you. So I isolate, I sequester, I make and fake excuses about busyness or tiredness. I fade out, I act. I hide behind a carefully crafted persona. I wear a mask. With more on this common phenomena, here is Andrew giving his voice to depression. Andrew was in his early 20s when he first started experiencing symptoms of depression. He wouldn't be formally diagnosed for another 20 years. So for half his life, he just knew something was going on and that it came and went whenever it damn well pleased. I would say 2013, 2014, I started to really struggle with suicidal thoughts several weeks at a time and at least twice a year. Um, And it was kind of getting worse every time. Every bout of depression would be a little bit deeper, a little bit longer, and a little harder, harder to climb out of. Um, Fast forward to the summer of 2015, 
um, there was a couple of things that kind of snowballed on me. And so that was, I made a decision I called the local crisis line, told them I needed help, that I wanted counseling. I wanted to get set up with a psychiatrist, uh, soup to nuts because I was, it became very clear. It was either I make that call or that sooner or later that this illness was going to take my life. Andrew reached out for and got the help he needed. Now his self-care is multifaceted and includes medications. I'm on three different uh, three different pills, and the current dosage level and combination seems to be working quite well for me. Yeah, it's not not ideal. I still still definitely have my my days, but um, compared to where I was a year ago and two years ago and three years ago, it's night and day. And so, days beat the hell out of weeks, don't they? Oh, absolutely. You know, I might have moments where those suicidal thoughts come back but I recognize them for what they are. They don't have that power over me to drag me down and, you know, beat the crap out of me, metaphorically, of course. They may not drag him down, but make no mistake. When you have a customer-facing job or a family or any other number of situations and obligations, it's quite a challenge to carry on as though the conversation or task in front of you is what you're lucky enough to be thinking about. And there have been, you know, smiling, jo- you know, throwing jokes out, interacting with the customer in the back of my head. It's just this loop. I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. And that's where the mask comes in. It doesn't change a single thing that's going on inside, but it transforms the outside. But yeah, I think it's not so much slapping on a happy face on a good day because, you know, everyone's got kind of good days and bad days, even within the good stretches. But it's knowing I'm not in a good place and I still slap on happy face and try and joke with customers and everything else. Meanwhile, you know, this monotonous of I'm dirt, I'm surprised I haven't been fired yet. Well, if I get fired, I'm just going to die. And, you know, this is just going on in the back of my mind while I'm dealing with customers. That's when it becomes more of a necessity. So it has helped, but I have to remember that, you know what, Andrew is still an introvert, and when he's done work, it's okay for him to go home and just crash. You know, it's kind of a balancing act between the two. In his blog article on this topic, which we will link to, Andrew describes that struggle this way. I wear a mask, not just a mask, not just any mask, the mask, the bane of my existence and my savior, the air in my lungs, and the poison in my veins. It saves my life as it drowns my soul. And yeah, the mask can be both. Because if you relied on the short term, yeah, it can save you. It can pull you up. But the danger, you lean on that, you rely on it long term, and that's when it turns on you. It starts to suck you down because you know you're living this falsehood. Of course, everyone wears masks to some extent. Fake it till you make it, you know? I think it's it's actually two things. On the first surface level, I think everyone, and when I say everyone, I'm including uh, normal, the average citizen. Everyone puts up a good front. Mm-hmm. You know, the filters, the staged pictures, the smiling family pictures or the vacation or right 
but everyone thinks that they're the only one who does it as much as they do. And they think everyone else's life is much more, you know, the social media is much closer to reality than theirs. And below that, those of us who struggle with mental illness fight against not wanting to hang out with Eeyore, you know, the mopey depressed that everyone suddenly thinks of when they hear mental illness is depression, the Eeyore. Um, and then on top of that, you've got the fear of what will people think of me? The average everyday Joe, all they know is movies, Netflix, that sort of portrayal of mental illness. Where you're either violent or a genius. And probably both. <laughs> and unstable and unpredictable and volatile. Yeah. So that many levels, it's no wonder that uh, the mask is prevalent. You said using the mask and hiding behind it also feeds it. It fuels the darkness. It makes it stronger, hungrier, and more unpredictable. So that is fascinating to me that I've always thought of it as protective. It didn't occur to me that using it empowers it. It does. When you're young, your bedroom's dark and you hear a scary noise. That noise is frightening because it, you can't see what's causing it. Well, there's two things you can do then. You can either jump up, turn on the lights, rip open the closet doors and see, see what's in there. Or you can just throw the blankets over your head, stuff a pillow in each ear and hope it goes away. By throwing the lights on and opening the closet doors, you can see it for what it is. And it's probably not as big as you think it is. It might be big and scary, yes, but it's not as big as you think it is. I think the biggest reason I've come this come as far as I have in the last two years is because somewhere I got the crazy idea that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fake it. I'm gonna look what I'm struggling with in the eyes as often and as long and as much as possible because I I don't want it to run my life, but I don't want to run from it either. That's part of the stigma, right? Why should we have to? I mean, we wouldn't be walking around sharing fries and a burger with our friends if we had a really terrific cholesterol problem. You know, we'd have to come out and say, I, I really can't eat that kind of stuff because I'm on meds and, you know, I could, I could have a stroke or a heart attack. Exactly. And I think anyone who's dealt with a mask has felt that, that tension of wanting to just rip the mask off and throw it away and just be authentic and screw what the world thinks, and then retreating behind the mask thing. and then pulling it down going, no, I, I, you know, I want to be authentic, and then putting the mask up again. There are, what, one out of five of us, for God's sake, it's not like the rare, you know, unicorn out there, that, that there are a lot of people walking around struggling. And Here's the scary thing that I think of when I hear that number one in five. If you think about how heavily stigmatized mental health or mental illness really is, that's one in five people reporting. Yes. One in five reported or diagnosed by professional. So what does that say for the people who don't report? What about the people who mask it or don't recognize or just try and grind through not understanding what they're facing? And then you think about that one in five number and it drops to probably one in four, I would say maybe even one in three. And, and then when you hear that it's 10 years, it's a decade between, you you were longer, I was longer, between, you know, when the first symptoms show and when someone actually, you know, puts up the white flag and goes in and says to a professional, hey, something's wrong here. You know, that's yeah. a lot of people for a lot of years walking around hurting. 
And that is, again, part of the reason why I decided to do this. It's it's very healing as somebody else who lives with this black dog to hear it stated so well and to just be able to, to feel understood. I keep saying, you know, when you go to a doctor and you say, oh, right here, you know when it hurts and it's a little bit like, and you're trying to explain it, and they say, oh, needles and pins? Yeah, needles and pins. You know, so when you say that what you say in your blogs, you know, I, I read it and just go, yeah, yeah, like that. It's wonderful. And that's that's exactly why I do it. Um, part of it is therapeutic for me when I can finally give shape and give words to these thoughts that bounce around between my ears. That you know, writing helps me. Mm-hmm. Realizing everyone else, you know, or a lot of other people struggle with it. If I put that out there, mm-hmm. and one post changes one person's life, and that's all my blog ever does. Yeah, fantastic. I hate thinking that somebody else would feel as alone and low as I did with nobody to connect to and nobody to reach out with. Even if I can't make the connection, somebody else will read something and go, holy crap, somebody else out there gets it uh-huh. and gives them a bit of courage to reach out. Because you could have done this as a journal. You could have just written it for yourself and gotten the benefits of getting it out of your head and onto paper. Um, so I'm extremely grateful that you chose to do it as a blog and not a journal so that I could find it and call you. Anyway, is there any parting words or anything when you were thinking of talking that you thought, I really want to communicate this? Um, There's something about giving these shapeless thoughts in your head a physical form, whether you write a song or you sculpt something or you paint something, or for me, it's crafting words into something that makes sense. Whatever it is, to me, that has been worth it. So I would encourage um, your audience, even if it doesn't make sense to you, grab a pen, grab a notebook, grab your laptop, whatever. Find a way to give shape or form to the, the thoughts and the voices in your head, and I guarantee you it'll be helpful. That's really interesting advice to tap into your, you know, creative knowledge to express it. Mm-hmm. I was really struck, Terry, while we were talking about doing an episode on masking that I want to say conflict, I guess, because it is for me, but maybe not for everyone, of how we act at home, you know, kind of in our private world, mm-hmm. including in our head, you know, versus how we act in public. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can be really different personas, really different aspects of ourselves. And it can take a lot of energy, I think, to, you know, go out and be out in the world and do what you got to do. And, I, I, you know, that retreating back home to another part of yourself in order to find balance. I just appreciated him talking about that. Mm-hmm. I did, too. And, and listening to him, one of the things I thought of, um, because I have always thought of the mask as sort of visual, was that we sort of have verbal masks. And when you say, I'm fine, just tired, uh, I wouldn't make very good company tonight, I'm really busy with work, you know, I understand you could also use the word excuses, but they're just another way of, of hiding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw something on Pinterest that I thought was interesting about all this, and it said that as you speak words of empathy and compassion, I can feel the edges of my mask loosen, curling up ever so slightly. Ooh, I love that. that. Yes, Hmm? send me that, and I'll make one for Facebook. I love that. Yeah, 
Cool. Um, as long as we're reading. I'm, the, the Huffington Post article that I mentioned at the beginning, this is how it ends, and I just wanted to uh, end this with it as well. It says, never turn away from a person who seems to be struggling. Love when it's difficult. Cry when you need to. Reach out when someone closes the door. Open your heart even if it feels terrifying to do so. If we keep forcing the bad to go unseen, the good will also go unseen. Say that last sentence again. If we keep forcing the bad to go unseen, the good will also go unseen. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Andrew, for uh, helping us see masking, as you called it, Bridget, from so many different perspectives and the ways that it is both helpful and potentially hurtful. Well, when he said, it saves my life as it drowns my soul. <sighs> right? Whew. Yeah, the guy's good with words. That was powerful. All right. All right. Well, thank you for being here, Bridge. Uh, we will do our season in review next week. Uh, this mm-hmm. is the end of season five, or that will be the end of season five. So it has been filled with such amazing information. I have learned so much in the past nine episodes. So I am grateful for that and for everyone who has shared their story. Absolutely. Me too. Bye, Terry. Bye, hon. We hope that these shared stories bring out a little more understanding or help people articulate their experiences of depression a little more clearly or more freely. Thanks to all, everyone who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. You can find all the other episodes, some resources, and a blog on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And you can find the podcast most of the other places that you find podcasts. Just Google it, as our mom says. And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.